Howdy, y'all. How's that for a Texan greeting? I don't, I don't hear a lot of howdy, y'all, here in Germany. Uh, you are listening to the Phil in Exile podcast. Thank you for joining me. It's good to have you here on this ride today. And uh, today, I'm excited because I'm actually going to get to do something that I was hoping I could do, which is be in dialogue with people on topics that we've brought up. So I made some episodes talking about various things and I've had some people respond to me uh, through email or Instagram or whatever and get a hold of me with some ideas and say, well, what about this and what about that? So today in the last episode before the end of 2023, I know it sounds so grandiose because it's like the year in review and I've had what, six episodes, but but how cool that I've had people actually respond and give me some things to think about and continue the conversation. So I want to I want to honor that and respond to some of that. So we're going to do a little uh, review and have some questions that people have sent to me about previous episodes and some of the things that maybe we can take it in a different direction. So I'm, I'm very excited because it's like we're having a real conversation. I love it. Anyhow, but before that, I thought I would just tell you uh, some, uh, you know, my sort of weekly update on uh, living in a foreign country. And, and, you know, I had talked about fluency in a previous episode about language, and I had a funny language event recently. Uh, I was talking, my wife and I were talking to our landlord, neighbor, and um, we were talking about something we ate, and my wife was trying to say, I loved the food. Uh, I love, you know, the, I love the food that, that we were eating, and she said, uh, you know, ich liebe Essen, uh, you know, the food. And anyhow, very crude. But anyhow, she used that term, the word love. And she said this, and our landlord, and he's, he's, he's uh, you know, he's fairly um, uh, sober delivery on things. And he went, no, no, you do not love food. He said, he said, you do not love food. You love uh, your family. You love a dog, perhaps, but you do not love food. And the way he said it, you know, I was thankful that he told us that. But it was almost like we had said, like, we, it was conjuring up images of us having a romantic tryst with a ribeye. Like, I, I don't know what, although I've had some, I've had some ribeyes that made me swoon. I'm not going to lie. But... I don't, I, I, it, I didn't want to get too far into it, but like, what did we just say when we said we love food? <laughs> do we say, do we say something w really weird? Um, anyhow, he was like, don't, don't say that. Don't, don't say that. So again, still learning the language, learning usage, good times. Um, so we're reserving the word love, you know, and I, the thing, in America, we love lots of things, right? We love everything. I love that show. I love that restaurant. And he was like, no, you love people, maybe a dog. And that's it. So <clears throat> learning as we go. But uh, also, I, I have discovered some German things that I that I really think uh, they, they do really well here, um, you know, continuing to have to, you know, eat food to survive. Um, I have discovered some things that are unique here that are fantastic. And, um, one is this soda that everybody drinks. They, they'll mix anything here. They'll mix, they're, they're, they're like wild when it comes to mixing things. They'll mix, 
lemonade and beer and Coke and beer and cherry cola and liquor. And I mean, they, they'll mix everything with everything. It's they, 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 they've got no fear, but one of the sort of standard German drinks is this, I think mezzo mix might've been the first one. Maybe, I don't know, but it's, it's got a long history here in Germany and there are other variations and it's this combination of cola and orange soda. So like think Coke and Fanta and, uh, and they, they have this and they have, you know, there are a lot of brands that are available. And I thought when I heard about this, I thought that sounds gross. That's, that does not sound good at all. Coke and orange soda does not sound good to me, but I, I'm trying to, you know, go, Hey, when in Rome or when in Deutschland, you know, let's, let's see. So I thought I'm going to try this out. Oh my gosh. It's a revelation. Like if I ever move back to the States, I, where am I going to get my, my Spezzi or my Mezzomix? It's so good. Oh my heavens. It's delicious. I got the sugar-free kind. Don't worry. Although that's a different set of problems, right? So do I want to rot my teeth and get diabetes or do I want to have cancer from the aspartame? <laughs> you know, both great options. Anyhow, but that stuff is so good. Oh my gosh, they got it figured out. When they when they get it figured out here, they get it figured out. Someday I'll talk about German windows, but I, I still just sit back and think, why doesn't the whole world have German windows? They're they're amazing. But there are other things where I, I, I have kind of a now hold on here. Let's hang on a second. Let's just hang on a second. Um let's talk about mayonnaise. We need to talk about mayonnaise. And I know this isn't only Germany, okay? But Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and say something. All right, that may cause some consternation, but um, I I I dabbled with the mayonnaise and and fries, and I gotta tell you, I think they're onto something. Uh, mayonnaise and and fries, and I will say, their fries here they will never serve you like I, I have yet to have anybody serve you fries that are not fresh. Like they make them when you order them, like. Pow, drop them in the oil, do them then. There's none of these like sitting under a hot, hot light, uh, heat lamp. Hot light, heat lamp. Wow, the brain. The br and I've had coffee. I've been awake for hours. Had coffee. That's it's sad, really. You're watching a human mind just decay before your very eyes. Anyhow, nothing under a heat lamp here. It is fresh made when you get it. And that may have something to do with it because then they're really crispy and ready to go. And then the creamy mayonnaise. And, I, and there's even a place where we got, they had like specialty like mayonnaise mixes. Like it had mayonnaise with some herbs and Parmesan and arugula. Oh my gosh, that place was great. So like I, I'm, I'm sold. I'm sold on that. I'm sold on that. But but you see, the thing is, and here's where I, I got to step in and say, hey, now hang on. Their love affair with the mayo sometimes goes a little further than I, I feel comfortable with. I um, I went to a restaurant and I ordered a burger and uh, I, I, I happen to be a mustard guy. I There, I said it. I'm a mustard guy. I don't dislike mayo. I just said I like mayo and I, I don't mind it on my burger, but I like the, I'm, I'm a mustard forward person. Let's get that tang, that bitterness. I'm a bitter, I like bitter things, you know, black coffee, just nothing in it, just dark like my soul. I just, I just want bitter, strong things. And so I, you know, a good biting mustard. So I go into this restaurant and I order the burger and of course it, it comes with mayonnaise. And I said, well, could I get mustard instead? And the lady behind the counter said, we don't have any. And I was like, wait, 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 hold on. What? 
we don't have any. I said, you don't even have like, like packets I could put on. Like, is there, are there, could I just put some on myself later when you deliver it? Like maybe you don't have it in a jar back there, but a lot of places have little packets of, she said, no, we don't have any in the building. Who doesn't, who doesn't have mustard in a hamburger joint? I was genuinely taken aback. And so I thought, okay, well, again, all right. And I was like, okay, well then mayonnaise. And I don't know if when I said that in her brain, she thought, well, since he can't have mustard, I'll, we'll double the mayonnaise. Or if this is just the normal mayonnaise that you get, um, because I then got a burger delivered and I picked up the burger to take a bite. Okay. And it was a two hander. So picture this, you know, you're picking up the burger with two hands. I'm leaning forward to take a bite of the burger and I hear thunk and out of the back, you know, the bottom end of the burger buns, the, the patty fell out because it was so lubricated with mayonnaise, both sides and like a thick layer of mayo so that it literally, I needed to be gripping that burger with a death grip to keep the patty from sliding out. There was so much mayo. Now, again, I, I, I don't dislike mayonnaise, but come on, that that's crazy. That's crazy. So on some things, you know, spetsy, mezzo mix, Coke and orange, I'm in. Even mayonnaise on the fries, I'm in there too. But come on, let's let's be careful. Let's 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 show a little restraint, because that burger was swimming, and I I don't know what happened there, but uh, I think I'm gonna have to just at the risk of being the, you know, obnoxious princessy American, I'm gonna have to just start asking for the mayo on the side so that I, I don't get an ocean, of of dressing. Such are the challenges of navigating my new world, mayonnaise. But uh, but that's uh, that's sort of the excitement. Uh, you know, we've all had uh, our Christmas holiday. I hope your your holiday, whatever it is or isn't, was delicious and delightful and restful and lovely and filled with people that you actually enjoy being with. And uh, and I hope you're getting uh, excited for the upcoming, uh, you know, New Year's Eve celebrations or in my case, staying at home and trying to avoid uh, drunk people with fireworks. But uh, uh, yeah, I, 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 uh, I'm, I'm excited that we will have completed this calendar year in a new place and looking forward to what's next. But I, I want to now shift over to the responses I got from people about some of the episodes that we've already had and some of the topics that have been covered because I absolutely love that people wrote me back. So the the first thing was I got some responses from several people about the human nature thing, which makes sense because, you know, I don't, again, as I said on that episode, people don't like to, to, to think about, you know, when, once you start calling people bad, then that tends to raise some hackles. Um, and, uh, and so some people wrote back and kind of said, well, what about this? And, and, and it was great because I heard from different people who brought up different angles and some people brought up the same thing. So uh, I'm going to get to that in a second. We're, we'll kind of cover those as a package. But first, one of my former students, um, Bridget, she, she did talk about the human nature thing. I'll get to that. But she also asked about imposter syndrome and, uh, and the school thing. I guess she listened to three episodes. She gets a gold star. But, you know, 
honestly, if you knew Bridget, she was a gold star kind of student. She was that kind of student that like made it really fun and easy to be a teacher because she was like, yes, I came to learn today. I want to do what you want to do. It was great. She was great. She said, uh, she said from, from that episode, the third episode, uh, expectations have a large influence over the education system. Uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, how absurd do you think the expectations are for students to be docile, etc.? Um, scale of 1 to 10, how absurd uh, do I think they are? Ah. You know, that's a hard one. I, I, I don't, I think there is a definite skill to learn in being able to sit still and and to be a receiver of information, for example, to be able to sit quietly and let someone else talk and think about what they're talking. I think that's, that's a huge skill that, that is necessary. Just even, again, sitting at a meal, letting someone else talk, listening and thinking about what they're saying. Usually that isn't a, a solid hour of a lecture at a meal. If it is, that's a, that's a bad dinner guest probably. But, you know, there's, there's that side. I think there's also, and this is something we can talk about another time, I think there is also an increased inability for people to be bored. I think the internet, uh, the, the smartphone, the universe in your pocket has made it such that you don't ever have to really sit down and just be or, or just look at your world or think about your world. So Again, being docile, being able to be still, being able to not have stimulation, I do think there's a merit in that. But I think the, the the part that's difficult is at what age do you expect people to be able to do that? And and how much better might someone learn if they were allowed to be more experiential in the process? So when I think about this, the absurdity level, you know, with a kindergartner, it's probably a 10 out of 10 absurdity that they can sit still for long periods of time. A, a, a college student, maybe that's, it's not absurd to, to expect them to do that. Um, but I, I do think the, the problem becomes that we we have just set our system in, in place and we don't really want to mess with it out of, you know, the fact that it'll be hugely inconvenient to try to monkey with that system at all. We don't like it. We don't want to do that. Forget about whether or not we have new information that suggests, you know, people could learn in better ways and different ways. I, I don't I'm I'm frustrated that we don't stop and say, let's slow the train down and and ask some more questions. But I don't think it's absurd to think people at some on some level and at some point ought to learn how to be able to be still, be docile, be quiet, and and you know, be on the recept receiving end of something. But I, I think I think we start with the kids in rows straight lines, shut up, be quiet, don't speak, man, we start that early with kids, uh, you know, and I, I know different schools will have different policies, different classrooms, but I think there's still a lot of that where somehow, you know, silent, silent, uh, adherence to straight lines and rules is seen as a pinnacle of, of your ability to be in a classroom that I, I feel like there ought to be more than that. So I, I feel like it's, Fairly absurd uh, the younger you are and a little less absurd the further you go. So I, maybe there you go. I think that expectation by the educational system is a little, a little problematic. Um, 
I have to get out my notes and my glasses because I'm old as dirt. Um, from the second episode, Bridget asks, how intentional do you think the enforcement of imposter syndrome is? Do you think it just comes from ignorance or is it sourced from an intention to keep people out? I, I honestly think uh, it's more about intentionally keeping people out. I, I think it's it's more about that. Uh, I, I think it can happen unintentionally. Um, I, I had a I, I had a mother, for example, who who was very well, I, both my parents are very literate, but my mom was very she had been an English major um, and she was very concerned with how my brothers and I spoke. And she did not want us to have, you know, poor speech, poor language. Um, she didn't. And by poor, I don't mean socioeconomically. I just mean she wanted us to speak well. She wanted us to use good vocabulary. She was interested in, in the in the precision and clarity of our speaking. She didn't want us to use poor grammar. I know sometimes I do on this show, so forgive me for that, Mom, watching from uh, the, the, the heavenly realms. Anyhow, um, but that was something that she she worked on us. She would ride my brothers and me. Like, if we were talking in a way that she deemed... Um, you know, unintelligent, she would say, ah, 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 try again, say it correctly. And we would roll our eyes and, oh, I can't believe it. She, I, I tell you this story to say that later on, my wife commented that she said, honey, when we first met and she heard me in a teaching scenario and she was like, sometimes you say things and people don't know what you're saying. Like they don't know when you refer to a word or you use a word, there are people who don't have the same vocabulary as you. And I don't have a, an amazing vocabulary. I just, I had a mother who was like, don't sound like a dum-dum. Yeah. And, and, and well, and I mean, okay. <laughs> Once I became a literature major, it's true. I did invest some money in a, the concise Oxford dictionary printed. And, uh, there, there are times where I could knock off a, a, a good, a good time on a Friday night reading through a dictionary. Cause I know how to party, but, uh, you know, I, I do love words. I was a literature major. I was an English teacher. I care about words. And, but, but at times it, it didn't seem weird to me to use certain words because those are the words my household used. And I wasn't trying to be like, Oh, look at me. I'm Mr. Smarty pants. I know this word. It was just the word I had always known for something. And my wife had to go, it looks like you're trying to sound smarter than you are, or people are being left behind. They don't know what you're talking about. So I think, you know, that's an example of, of I wasn't trying to um, make anybody feel like they didn't know what was going on, but I may have inadvertently done that. But I think true imposter syndrome more often than not is designed by people who want to create an environment and, and as I said in that episode, and who will reinforce it with demeaning language and demeaning behavior if you suggest you don't know, like if somebody had said to me, I don't know what that word means. Like my students would do that sometimes. Mr. Brown, I don't know what that word means. I say, Oh, let's look it up. Let's check it out. Let's see what it's a great word. I wasn't like, Oh, you stupid kid. Why don't you know? Like, Oh, I'm sorry. Let's look it up. Let's look it up. I, I think if you demean people for, for not having the information, that's the part that's intentional. And, and again, it can be done very subtly, but I think it's done very much to keep people out. Uh, and it's again, it's done out of an ugly fear and insecurity on the part of the person perpetrating this scenario. But uh, yeah, I, I've I've seen it enough times, and I and I've gotten to know the people who do it. And yeah, they're they're trying to make you feel like less than them. 
So I, I still think most of the time it's pretty intentional and, and, and pretty insidious, pretty gross. Not a fan. Not a fan. Let people in, man. Give them the info. Give them the words. Give them the ideas. Give them access. It's just let everybody play with the toys, for crying out loud. There's room for everybody on the lifeboat. Come on. So then we move on from those first two questions that Bridget had too. She then also brought up the human nature thing, but um, it overlapped with something that I also got from somebody named Andy, whom I have never met, but who sort of got in contact with me through another friend, and which is just awesome that someone I've never met took the time to write to me and, and, and give me some thoughts. And, and, and very thorough thoughts they were. I don't know why I just said that like Yoda. But um, thorough thoughts they are. That was a pretty good Yoda. That was not bad. That was, that was pretty solid. Anyhow, um, I, I think uh, I, I got the impression from reading this the message from Andy that he and I could probably sit down and have a, a rollicking good multi-hour conversation ranging over much philosophical territory. Um Maybe someday I'll get to meet Andy, but his he sent a he sent a, a fairly long response. I won't read the whole thing at all, uh, too much. But but it was getting at things that are underneath this whole question of human nature and the and the difficulty of it. And and so you know what what do we do with a person who does overall good life but does one bad thing and or one murder and and are all murders created equal? What if it's murder in self defense? It's still a murder. It's still taking life. Do we ever do that? And he brought up all sorts of interesting stuff about the theological aspect. How, why would God allow a scenario where people are capable of doing bad? And oh, it was it was great. Again, it was very very great response. But it overlapped a little bit with with. Bridget, who also said, do, do a few actions over, you know, over, you know, overwhelm a, a life that otherwise is pretty great, you know, um, can't people, you know, be given a chance to good person do something bad? Yes, uh, that that's, that's a great question. And, and then <laughs> to kind of <laughs> take a little bit of a side turn on that, uh, former student Jillian who was one of the people who originally told me to start a podcast. Um, she said, what about free will? Just what about free will? You know, do, do, what, how do you, how does that figure into all this? And, I, and so I think there's kind of an intersection. I don't want to oversimplify this, but I also don't want to get into such a technical discussion that it goes on for hours and everybody is sick to death. But I think, I think there's an interesting thing going on here because um, I think what we're getting at is that we sense that there's, well, first of all, we sense there's something different about human beings, right? So like the free will thing brings up the question of, you know, do we in fact have it? And I know that I think I saw on the news in the last few months that there was some scientist, some professor out of Stanford who, quote, you know, has proven we don't have any free will. And the truth is that's, that's sort of clickbait news because that's, been proposed before. Like the idea that we're really just a series of chemical responses to, to, you know, environment and things like that. I, that again, that's, that's a, that's a materialist view of things. And I understand that it's not new though. It's not, I think it was, a, must've been a kind of a slow news week, but it, it's not a new idea, but I, I get it for sure. I, I get it for sure. And again, then even if you go into like a, a theological worldview where there's a God, then of course, 
if God knows everything and God is in control of everything, how could he, you know, how do we do anything? If he knows what we're going to do ahead of time, doesn't he in a sense have control over that? And are we actually doing it? If he already knows we're going to do it, if you already know you're going to do it, are you really free to do it? Like, it's all so complicated. And I kind of want to go backwards from the free will back to the human nature, because here's the thing. I don't think we're ever going to unpack free will fully. What I, what I feel like, my take on it, again, I, I don't, I'm just a guy trying to make it through this life, as I say most episodes, just trying to figure out the world I live in. But when I get up in the morning, I start making a series of decisions, or I think I do. <laughs> it's possible that I'm not, that, that everything I do is just really an outcome of all the things, all the seconds that happened before me in my 50 plus years that have led to this moment that create this series of actions that to me feel like I'm making choices, but really they're not, you know, I, okay. Okay. Um, I, I think, I think I'm making choices. And again, I realize someone could say, well, that doesn't mean you are, I get it, but I can only sort of work with the reality I can apprehend. So when I'm standing there looking in my drawer going, what color t-shirt do I want to wear today? Because I basically wear the same thing every day. I wear a pair of jeans and a t-shirt and my Carhartt hoodie because that is what, and my fuzzy Birkenstocks because that's my uniform now. And, uh, and I look down and I, of course, somebody could say, you have a uniform. That's not free. Well, okay, I get it. But I look down and the big choice is what color t-shirt should I wear? And I, I have things that are that I'm thinking through and I go, oh, you know, that, that, well, I, or that shirt has a, it's a little different cut than the other t-shirt because it's a different brand. Do I like that one or do I, what do I, what am I, oh, that one has a stain on it. I think that one's a little frayed on the one, like I'm making a decision. Am I going to see people later? Maybe I shouldn't wear the one with the stain on it. You know, how far can I zip up the hoodie to cover the stain? Like I'm making a decision. That's just a t-shirt. There's a zillion decisions I make every day and they sure feel like I'm making decisions. Now, I could sit here and say, I have no freedom over those decisions. I, I can't, I'm not really making any decisions. But I guess I asked the question, what does that get me? Like, wh where does that take me? At that point, I feel like I'm just going, well, then I'm just going to get back in bed. Like, if I'm not actually making any decisions, I'm going to just go back and, and sleep until I die. Like, if I'm not making any decisions at all, and, and, and again, so let's move past t-shirts. How about the person you marry or, you know, the, the job you take or the place you live or the relationships you have? Like, these are big decisions, decisions, choices you make. I think, I just think there is nothing gained by saying we have no free will. Now, it's entirely possible that we have, what we have is sort of a form of free will. Like, when my kid was was little and, and, uh, my kids were little, they would go out and play, you know, we would, we would give them a degree of freedom by letting them run around in the yard, right? We'd let them run around in the yard and say, go play, have fun. And they could do whatever they wanted to, but they were inside a yard, right? Like they, they weren't able to scale at age, whatever. They weren't able to scale the yard. They, they were sort of stuck inside the yard. So there were parameters to their freedom so they had a, a kind of freedom within a larger sort of confinement. And it's possible that what we have is that, that we can exercise a level of choice and autonomy 
and freedom within certain constraints. And again, that can work both biologically and theologically, you know, like, again, when I think about my kids, I, I let them do things. But if I saw there was a safety problem, if my if my kid was about to, you know, do something that I knew was going to hurt him, I might intervene and remove his free will. Like, I'm going to pull you back because you're going to hurt yourself. I, as much as I want you to have freedom and learn lessons and even learn lessons sometimes the hard way, I don't want them to be fatal. It kind of loses the point of learning the lesson if the lesson kills you. So I, I don't really want to go down the road of saying, you know, hey, for, we, we, I guess we, we treat absolute freedom as if it's the greatest thing in the world. And that may be slightly American too, because we're, we're very, that's a big term in our sort of ideology as a country. But, but, but absolute freedom, I don't, I don't know if that's as great as we want to make it out. But I think zero freedom is also terrifying. So the whole free will conversation to me is really a question of, of what, what would it benefit me to think I had no free will? Maybe that's just grossly pragmatic. ah, You tell me. But like, it's kind of like my brain can't even comprehend it anyhow. Like if I think to myself, okay, I have no freedom. I think it's going to, I think I'm going to kind of give up on living a little bit. Maybe that's just me. But if I have no autonomy and no influence in my own decision-making, that would just sort of ruin it for me. Now that leads me back to human nature because all this talk about, humans and are they really bad if they just do one kind of semi big thing is it quantity or quality and you know i what i would say is i i think if you take the free will and and say we do have some i think the nature of humans is less interesting than the capacity of humans like really what we're getting at is what's really f- phenomenally compelling about human beings is that we have a capacity that's different i think than pretty much any other being on this planet because we have the capacity to do things and for reasons that are different than, than most, uh, most, if not all of other species of, of living things. Like, so here's the thing. I had, I had a dog named Stella. She was a great dog. Um, she's still alive. She's, she, we had to give her, we couldn't bring all of our dogs to Germany with us. It was going to be incredibly cost prohibitive and travel and anyhow. So our, our dog had kind of fallen in love with this, uh, this little boy that we knew. And so the family said, Hey, they were kind of thinking about getting a dog worked out great. But Stella, Stella was honestly the, the most affectionate dog I've ever owned. And I've owned a lot of dogs in my years, grew up with dogs Stella was the most affectionate animal I've ever had. She was delightful. And the thing is, Stella was also an incredibly athletic, strong animal. And Stella would bring us presents from the yard in the form of dead squirrels, dead rabbits, rats. Stella was good at catching things. And I don't know what Stella's motive was. Like, you know, we've wondered, did she just want to play? But her play is a little rough when she gets the animal in the jar. Was she doing something uh, where, you know, the, the, the terrier in her, whatever piece that was, all our dogs are mutts from shelters, but whatever the terrier piece was, was like, must get rodent. You know, I, I don't know. What I know is Stella wasn't sitting there thinking about cause and effect the way I do. She wasn't asking herself questions of intent, 
Um, <laughs> and, and when she brought me the dead squirrel, when I find the dead squirrel in my living room, I don't look at her and go, you murderer, how could you? You dirty murderer, this changes everything, you're evil. No, she's a dog. This is what dogs do. They go out and they, especially a terrier mix, goes out and in terriers, they go, they're made for going and ferreting out rodents. You know, that was what they were bred for. It's her instinct. She isn't asking any sort of self-actualization questions. So not only is she not asking about, you know, why am I chasing a squirrel? It's she's just wired that way. But she's also not going, you know, I think I'd like to get a PhD in, uh, you know, poetry. Like, she's not, she's just a dog being a dog, and we don't judge her for being a dog. We don't look at her and attach a morality to dogginess. We just go, that's a dog. But with a human, inherently, we look and we say, well, you, you had a choice. And that choice, man, so you see how free will leads to the, the, the human nature thing? I think capacity, recognizing the capacity of human beings is the thing that's really interesting here. Like humans have the capacity to do, to create and destroy in a way that no other species does. They have a way, and they can think about reasons why they're doing it. They can, they can think on it, think about it on a level that is so unlike any other animal because we're moving so far, I believe, we're moving so far beyond pure instinct. And we do things that are against instinct. I had a dog. <laughs> I had a dog. I took to the, we took to the beach once, and the the dog would not walk on the beach because the sand was really hot. Okay, we went to a beach. That the, it was really the sand was just really hot, and the dog put a palm was like nine. Nah, but what did I do when I got to the beach? I put my tender little feet. Okay. I, I'm from like Northern European stock is where my families come from, Sweden and Ireland. Like I'm, I'm from cold places. So my tender little tootsies got on that sand and this fire shooting up through my nerve endings. Did I, like a wise instinctual dog, go, well, I'm not going to walk on that. No, what did I do? I went, all the way across the beach till I could get over to the part that was wet and cool off my feet. Like, I can look and go, screw instinct. Instinct says, don't burn your feet, dum-dum. That's what instinct says. Don't do things that hurt. But I, being a human, go, hmm, this is going to hurt. I shall do it now. Or this is a self-destructive behavior. I shall do more of it. Like, we, we have capacity to, to go against instinct and nature, I think. And, and that can be, we can use it in a terrible way. So like in, in addition to that, you also have intent. In addition to the question of capacity, we also have intent that I think is different than most animals. Uh, again, most are not, if not all. So not only can we do things, but we can do them for reasons why that are different from everything else. So I think when you think about that, that's what makes it such a complex question and why, yeah, and as I said, if you push me and you say, I, I'm going to say, I think net net, I think we lean towards selfish, period. I do, I do still think we do that. But what I also think is our capacity to fight against our nature is unlike anything else because we can say, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to go that direction. I'm going to elect to be different than what what my perhaps default wiring suggests. I'm going to go against that. And I think that makes human beings so fascinating. And, and so 
so amazing. I mean, it, in the in the in the theological realm, you'd call it the image of God. Now I'm going to sound. Everybody's going to. I'm going to get labeled as a religious nut because you know, I've I've uh, I've talked about the Garden of Eden. I wished everybody Merry Christmas, and now I'm talking about the image of God. But that you know, that's the whole creation story in Genesis is let's make man in 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 our image. God says let's make man in our image. Which is complicated because who's the hour in that? Is it the Trinity or is it <laughs> heavenly beings? You know, and what is the image of God? Clearly, Adam and Eve weren't exactly like God because they screwed up like he didn't. And, you know, is it, people have said the capacity to create, for example, might be the image of God or maybe one part of it. The point is, is it wasn't applied to anything else in creation. There was no other plants or animals that got that stamp of the image of God. Again, that's a theological construct. You take it out of that, though, and still there's something about us humans that seems to be very different from all the other animals, and I, I think it's capacity and intent. Like we're able to process those in ways other animals don't. So that that that's sort of my thought is is I don't I don't want to get uh, I don't want to suggest that we're just bad and we have no ability to do anything but be bad and um and we're horrible and I hate people. I think people are amazing. I'm so struck by what people can do. And and again, I think the nature question, I brought it up cuz somebody asked it and I thought it was sort of an interesting question. Uh, but I I think it it really the question is what are we doing with our capacity and why? And 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 that's to me a much more subtle question. And then we can look at well, are, are there circumstances going on right now in our world that are making us behave in a way that we might call more evil in certain circumstances or whatever else? But the question is, man, we have the capacity. So even if we are doing something bad, we can we also can turn around and do something good. I think we can turn around and and try to, in fact, act against our nature. I think that capacity is there. I think maybe that's part of the image of God. It's just choice itself. Freedom to make a choice, good or bad. Maybe that's part of it. Um, although you, the, the theologians are going to say, well, God can't choose to do evil because he's purely good. Anyhow, that's a whole other conversation. But, but I digress. I should have just called this podcast, but I digress. I'm sure somebody already has that title. Anyhow, th there's some thoughts. So shout out to Andy, Bridget, and Jillian for uh, continuing the conversation. I hope this doesn't feel like uh, rehash or a dodge. I, I think what you all brought up was amazing, and uh, I, I love it, and I wish we could all have dinner and have this conversation over food that we do not love but that we really, really like uh, with a moderate amount of mayonnaise. Anyhow... That's all for this week. I hope everybody has a wonderful rest of 2023. And, uh, and I will see you on the other side of New Year's for uh, more episodes in 2024. As always, ladies and gentlemen, I'm just a dude trying to make sense of the world he lives in and hopefully leave it a slightly better place than he found it. And along those lines, then, I want to wish peace and goodwill and love to everyone.